Radio Maria. Thank you for joining us today here on Questions of Faith. Today we have Father Tony Rogers and Father Luke Goymer here for our listeners, for our Radio Maria community to answer questions that you've written in, you've texted in, you've called in, and now you still have an opportunity to call in as well. I know what you're thinking. Oh, oh, I, I forgot to send in my question, Helena. Ho, 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 ho. Ah, you've got the chance now. I'm going to give you the phone number. If you have a pencil or a pen or a paper, this might be good to write down. Here is the number. 0203 Two, three. That's the number to call straight into the studio. If you're feeling a bit shy or, or who knows, do email us at info at radiomariaengland.uk and I've got the little computer up and I will have the questions and pass them over to Father Tony and Father Luke. Before we get started, though, let's get in the right mind frame here. Father Luke, would you mind uh, saying a prayer for us and our listeners uh, to prepare for us for this hour? Sure, yeah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, we come before you this day in the name of your risen and glorified Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to be with us this day, to pour out your Spirit into our hearts, so that we may be open to encountering you, your truth, your love, and your teaching, in the richness of your church. Help us to understand you more and become the saints that we are called to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Oh, Father Luke, we are called to saints. But what makes you, just for our listeners that don't know who is Father Luke, what makes you so saintly to answer our questions of faith? <laughs> Father Luke, could you share a little, a little bit about yourself for us? Um, um, I'm not saintly yet. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Father Luke. I'm the parish priest of Brandon and Milden Hall on the Suffolk Norfolk border, which is where I'm coming from today. Uh, and I'm also the uh, diocesan chaplain to the youth service. So it's really good to be with you um, this morning. Oh, Father Luke, thank you for joining us. And Father Tony, if anyone was listening yesterday, Father Tony was on talking about prison chaplaincy and uh, how we really need to reach out and support our fellow man, woman and family members that have had a, a tougher time. But for those that didn't get to hear that amazing, amazing testimony and talk, Father Tony, who are you? Right. I'm Father Tony Rogers and I'm a parish priest out on the Suffolk coast, same county as Luke, but the extremity of it. Uh, I look out onto the North Sea every morning from my house in Aldborough. And it's beautiful. We can see you here in the studio and you have got the sunshine behind you. Or is that the pa the light of Christ? What is that? Uh, it? <laughs> both, of course. It's both. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Pleasantries are done. Time for the questions. Oh, 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 oh. And boy, thank you, listeners, for sending these in. Oh, they are. Oh, they're, I've got this. This is all questions coming that I have as well. So, uh, And we've got Father Luke and Father Tony here to answer it. All right, guys. The first question written in from Debbie. Oh, thank you, Debbie. Uh, she emailed us asking, when praying at home, 
or with friends, is it necessary to begin with in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Or is it okay just to do a silent sign of the cross? What do you think, guys? Well, I think I'm always slightly worried when I hear words like necessary or forbidden or allowed. Um, I don't think our church really works like that. The practice of beginning and ending prayer in the name of the Trinity, which, of course, is modelled at Mass, which begins with the sign of the cross and ends with the blessing, uh, is, is a way of kind of enfolding our prayer in the name of the Trinity, you know, invoking the name of the Trinity in all that we do. But it's not necessary. It doesn't have to happen. It's lovely if it does. Uh, but when we pray on our own, particularly, we may or may not do that. Uh, when we pray publicly, as we heard from Father Luke a moment ago, we do tend to begin anything we say aloud in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful practice. And if you look at Paul's letters, um, he so often begins them or ends them, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's an ancient practice and a very worthwhile practice. Thank you, Father Tony. Anything from you, Father Luke? Uh what Father Tony said is what I think. <laughs> um, yes, uh, only I, I had a debate in my mind, actually. Was I going to say the side of the cross this morning? Um, I don't always uh, when I'm, I'm praying in a more um, informal or spontaneous way, um, but uh, I probably do as much as I don't. Um, but no, everything that, uh, that Father Tony says, I would go along with. <laughs> All right, guys. Well done. Well done. Listeners, if you would like, you've got the option. I've got the studio line open right now for your questions. The number to dial in is this, 02037-818-423. Our next question, guys, came to us through Facebook. I forgot you can talk to us through Facebook listeners. You can comment or send us a message. This is the question from, uh, oh, it was Sister Tamsin had, had put this. She didn't have the question, but other people were asking her this. All right, so here's her question. I'm confused about the position of my hands, my arms, during the Our Father at Mass. I come from abroad, and I'm sure I was taught to pray like this, but I recently heard from a religious sister that this... Uh, it's, it's called the Oran's posture, the open hands, is poor catechesis as it blurs the distinction between a lay person and the ministerial priesthood. Now, is it, is it, is it, can only priests do this? Is there an official guidance? And guys, I tell you, I, I put my hands out during the Hour Father too. So help us out. Father Tony, Father, Father Luke, what do we do? Okay, I think I'll dive in first. Um, a couple of things, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's not there's there's truth in this. The Oran's uh, posture is the uh, posture of extending your hands in prayer. That's an ancient uh, gesture of prayer. We see it in icons, um, and of course we see it uh, in the liturgy, which is the the public prayer of the mass. And the priest will do that very formally at various points. Um, 
And at the mass at the front, when the priest does that, that's what's called uh, a presidential gesture. It means that the priest is presiding and leading the congregation. But that ancient gesture doesn't just belong to the liturgy. It belongs to, to all of us. It's a, a gesture of prayer. Um, so I suppose if you're being technical and you're, you're really wanting to cross the T's and dot the I's, then yes, it's, it's a presidential gesture, which the priest does at mass. But this is, I would argue quite strongly that this is not what people are doing when they are opening their hands at the Our Father. Um, there are uh, various different cultural practices, various different customs that come into the liturgy, um, which are not at odds with the liturgy. The liturgy, remember, is, is living. The church is uh, universal. And there is something, I think, quite endearing and about people standing before God and just opening their hands in a gesture of prayer. It's a, a, a Jewish um, custom. It's, it's, it's something Christ would have done and his apostles would have done. Um, so I would say it's, it's not that it's incorrect. I think, you know, if people are waving their hands really high and making a big ostentatious gesture that they're presiding <laughs> in, in, in service, <laughs> and so our father and, and, you know, then, OK, that's that's crossed a line there. Um, um, but the, the gesture is not attached to the priesthood. Um, the Oran's uh, uh, gesture is uh, a presidential gesture, but it is also um, a, a mode of prayer for all of us. And so um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's incorrect. Uh, it can be in some circumstances, but I wouldn't say it's incorrect. Um, and so there is no need for parish priests to correct. I would never correct <laughs> as someone if they're genuinely praying uh, in the pews. I'm just more encouraged that people are are entering into that great prayer, the Our Father, and uh, and praying it authentically. Father Tony, do you have anything to add to that? Well, yes, just one little thing, and that is that at Mass, uh, just to take one example, you will see the priest using his hands in different ways. That there are times when his hands are extended. You know, if he's giving a blessing... Uh, before he makes the sign of the cross, uh, if there's a prayer before it, he holds his hands out and above and over the people. Um, he lays his hands over the chalice um, and, and, and the bread at, at, at Mass in the Eucharistic prayer, invoking the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the, the instruction for the priest in the Missal is to, uh, to pray with hands extended, but very often, you know, the, the, the gesture with hands uh, for the Our Father is more what is known as the open hands. It's the hands sometimes with palms facing upwards, mm. kind of opening ourselves, you know, to God's power, God's grace, God's love in our lives. So I think, I think the, the, the very the, the sign and the sight of what, what, what is visible to us uh, give some sort of indication, you know, when when ordinations take place or confirmations, the bishop extends his hands and lays hands. We lay hands on the sick. So the, the position of our hands is saying something about the nature of our prayer. But in relation to people joining in with the priest, I agree totally with, with, with Luke because it's, I have to say, it's never anything I've given a thought to. 
as to whether it's appropriate or inappropriate. It seems to have crept in over the last 40 or 50 years with things like the charismatic movement and, you know, people's freedom, you know, to pray with their bodies. And I can't see that there can be anything ever wrong with it unless, as as Luke said, you know, arms are waved all over the place at this time, which is certainly not appropriate. So I hope that helps a little bit. Oh, thank you, Father Luke. Father, thank you, Father Tony. I'm, I'm going to now not shy away with my hands open during my Our Father section. I do, um, I think maybe it was during Vatican II, but we started holding hands as well, like as family members during the Our Father. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing from your answer before that that's probably okay as well. You, yes, you do. Well, te- not thinking about te- the pandemic. <laughs> you, te- you tend to see it at smaller gatherings, I think, at Mass. You know, I've seen it more at house Masses and, you know, maybe gatherings with young children and things. Again, it's, it's, it's neither forbidden, encouraged or permitted. It, it yeah. happens. And I think, think that kind of spontaneity unless it's giving counter signs or the wrong signs, it's not something really to worry about. No, I agree. Excellent, excellent. All right, guys, enough. of So, so Sister Tamsin, for those people that written, wrote to you, you've now got a good answer there. Now, ho, 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 this was sent in. So <laughs> this was emailed in and they'd like to remain anonymous. But their question is... To be, uh, to be completely honest, I don't understand the difference between a pastor, a priest, and a preacher. Are they all the same? Can only be? Can one be a man? One be a woman? What? What's the difference? Well, shall I start on this one? Yeah, my cow start on this. Um, pastor is quite simply uh, the Latin word for shepherd. Bonum pastor is the good shepherd. So uh, the pastoring role is the caring role. It's, it's, and we talk about pastoral work, don't we? Mm. We often refer to as pastoral work. I, 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 I tend to say pastoral work um, because it's, it's, it's the work not just of priests but of other people who are involved uh, in pastoral or caring ministry. So... For example, I was talking yesterday about uh, prison chaplains, and many of our prison chaplains are not ordained at all, but they have a very distinct pastoral role. So that's, that's a word about the pastor. The priest, now there are two ways of understanding priesthood. Um, there's the priesthood of what we call the priesthood of all believers. When babies are baptised, and anointed at the end with chrism, uh, the the the, um, the baby has the chrism put on on the crown of his or her head, uh, with the words referring to Christ as priest, prophet, and king, and the prayer that the child, as it grows, will share in that work of of, of Christ as a priest. But then, is, then there's what we call the ministerial priesthood, the ordained priesthood, where we share, uh, where the ordained priest share in offering the sacrifice 
uh, with Christ to the Father. Uh, the preacher, uh, in the Catholic Church, the role of preaching is by and large reserved to the ordained ministry, to bishops, priests and deacons, though there are occasions when, uh, when lay people are called to preach or speak at Mass, uh, and the preacher is, is the person who pro proclaims the Word of God, but also attempts to unfold it and interpret it and and, and help people and guide them in, in, in their, their Christian living. So that's uh, my little contribution. I'm sure Luke will have <laughs> something more to add to that. Um, yeah, thanks, Tony. Um, as you say, it's the, the words, uh, and you explain beautifully, pastor, priest and preacher mean, and they, they refer, don't they, to those different roles. Um, I suppose I would just add that um, when we talk about the ministerial priesthood, um, the priest uh, has to then uh, perform those roles. So he encompasses within himself mm. the role of pastor and the role of preacher. Um, that's part of the package of being a ministerial priest. So when we use the term uh, priest to refer to a Catholic priest, they are also pastors, i.e. shepherds, yeah. and yeah. preachers of the word. And just as a further caveat to that, um, it can also mean office holder. Now, I'm, I'm parish priest in Brandon and Milden Hall. I have three American air bases in my parish, uh, and I have a sizable American uh, uh, congregation uh, that, that join me at various points. And they don't call me parish priest, which is the English term, but they call me the pastor. Yeah. The pastor is the term that um, it means parish priest in the States, in America. Um, so that time is that uh, subject that um, the term pastor can also be used in some cultures yeah. and countries as the term of office for someone who leads a, a congregation or a, or a parish. Um, but yeah, um, I think we've I think that answers that question. I hope it does, Helena. <laughs> it does, but there's a follow up to it. Uh oh, uh, Reverend. Uh, so, so there's and then uh, and then Monsignor and Canon. There's like those three. Is there? Do they mean something different as well? Uh, is it an insult if I if I don't? I know there's uh, <laughs> there's a right reverend that I kept calling right reverend, and he said, wait, wait, no, no, just call me father. So I was like, oh, 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 is there? What do you guys think about those? Well, if Luke or myself had been um, parish priests, uh, diocesan priests in England uh, until the early to middle part of the last century, we would simply have been referred to as Mr. Rogers and Mr. Goimer. Mm. Uh, that was the title. Uh, the word padre uh, in Italian, uh, père in French, was originally reserved for religious clergy, and it was Monsieur le Curé, Monsieur le Vicaire for the curate. Mm. Um, uh, and so... So there was a distinction between religious priests, those who belong to religious orders, and secular or diocesan clergy. And, and it was usually the distinction was made um, with, with Don in, in, in Italian. Um, uh, so father doesn't automatically come with being a priest. Um, but it's the title that, through the 19th century, became the common terminology to address most priests. Uh, canon is a functionary within a diocese. 
It's a diocesan appointment, uh, and it signals, uh, indicates the, the, the chapter, the, the body of, 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 of priests who are uh, appointed by the bishop uh, to make what are required decisions in canon law in respect to the diocese. And when there's a vacancy, when the bishop uh, is retiring or when there is a vacancy, it's their role to submit names that they think would be suitable for a new bishop or to submit the name of somebody who can look after the diocese in the interim. Monsignor is a, is a, is a, a kind of title of honour. It it's not a rank, it's not a function. Um, I maybe unfairly refer to it as being a little bit like the papal OBE, it's, it's a kind of uh, title given for, for sort of services rendered, but it doesn't carry anything with it that alters the nature of the ordained ministry. So, so when people say, say, you, you start off as a deacon, then you become a priest, and then you become a canon, and then a monsignor, then a bishop, and then an archbishop, you know, th there are only three ministerial orders, bishop, priest, and deacon. So I'll shut up. <laughs> oh, that was great because that was exactly you just explained how I was thinking of it. Oh, thank you, Father Tony. Thank you, Father Tony. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right, guys, listeners, families, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a music break. I've only got a few more pre-written and e emailed questions. So I'm looking to you guys, you listeners, gentlemen, ladies, to call in with your questions. Don't let Father Tony and Father Luke down because they have like all these books on their shelves ready to find your answer <laughs> or in their minds. So here is the number to call in. 0203-781-8423. I'll say it one more time. The number is 203 781 Two, three. Father Tony and Father Luke, I'm going to take a little music break to allow our, our callers to call in. And this is You Can't Cage Fire by Maximilian and One Hope Project. Enjoy, guys. Feels like it's raining upside down, it's lifting up my head Spilled my vision on the ground, but now it's heaven bound instead I see the burning ones on high, singing hallelujah through the night Threads of red and gold in the sky, no you can't cage fire You can't cage fire no matter the hue and cry, you can't cage fire Though the stones themselves may try, you can't cage fire Oh, oh, oh you can't cage fire I've heard the stories of the saints and sinners all the same the way you gave without restraint They were all wet through by a burning ray I know the 
Projects You Can't Cage Fire. We're back here on Radio Maria and this is Questions of Faith. You've got the opportunity. It is in your hands. I have a few emailed questions. The email address is info at radiomariaengland.uk. But why email when you can go straight to the source? I've got Father Luke Goimer and Father Tony Rogers here, both brilliant pastoral preachers, (laughs) here to answer your questions and your thoughts, and even maybe even have a discussion. The number to call in is this, 0203. 781-8423. On to our next emailed question. This is from a mother whose child loves fish fingers on a Friday. They were trying to, the mother was trying, is trying to explain to her son, like, oh, this is why we have fish fingers. But he says, well, but other friends do it. So this is the meat of her question. <laughs> Why shouldn't we eat meat on Fridays? And fish. Fish can be a luxury item. So why why does it get a little excuse to be able to be eaten on Fridays? Okay, I think I'll dive in with that. Good question. Good question. Um, first of all, why bother with Fridays? Well, the week, uh, the Christian week, uh, is part of the Christian season and the Christian year. Um, And days, months and weeks are all significant. And what we might forget is that every Sunday, wherever we are, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. And every Friday, 
we actually are reminded that it is the day that the Lord gave himself for our salvation. It's a, it's a mini Good Friday, not in the same sense that, that Sunday is the day of resurrection. But from ancient tradition, we have always been encouraged, and the church has asked us to do a penance, to do something on a Friday to mark that day. So just as we should really celebrate and keep the Lord's Day, the Sunday, holy, on the Friday, that should be marked by some kind of penance. Just to remind ourselves that Christ gave himself for us. And this soon became adopted, um, probably by the Middle Ages. I may be wrong. I'm just speaking off the top of my head. Um, but it soon became adopted uh, in the church universally as not eating meat on Fridays because meat was um, a luxury item. It was something you'd have at feasting and everything else, very appropriate on Sundays and a major feast, but certainly not so appropriate uh, on, uh, on a Friday. Fish, however, was poor man's food. Fishermen, we could get fish, we could get seafood quite readily. And so it was uh, decided that um, universally, in, in I think in the Western church anyway, um, that uh, you shouldn't eat meat, um, but you can eat fish because that's somehow less than, than, than meat. It's, it's, it's denying yourself something. Now, that was then uh, revoked um, rare, fairly recently, I think, post-Vatican II period, I don't know exactly. Um, but what wasn't revoked, and this is important, is that we should mark Fridays in some way, that you should still do penance. Now, the problem is everyone forgot about Fridays, and so the bishops a few years ago reintroduced the meat issue, or, you know, not eating meat. But again, that hasn't really had the desired effect, because as our, our caller or our question um, asker rightly says... Fish is not really uh, a poor substitute anymore. It could well be a luxury item. And Pope Francis actually said this, um, and he said it several times, you know, it's no good going to a restaurant and having the finest salmon and lobster and everything else because it's a Friday. That's no penance at all. And of course, there are those of us that don't eat meat. You know, I was a vegetarian for four years. And so every Friday I had to think about, OK, how am I going to mark this day? I don't eat meat any day. So not eating meat on a Friday, and I'm allergic to fish, that's, that's not going to be uh, helpful. Um, so I would do something. I would not drink on a Friday, or I would not have chocolate on a Friday, or I would say an extra prayer. I would do something to mark uh, that day. So we don't eat meat on Fridays because it's the day of, uh, of Christ's passion. We want to mark that in some small way. But we don't mark it by replacing that with, uh, with having luxurious fish. And I think it's far more important that we keep the spirit of that day and the spirit of the penance in just some small way, rather than getting hung up about whether or not we've had, um, you know, so much, <laughs> we're replacing meat with fish and everything else. So um, hopefully that's answered the question. I don't know if um, Tony wants to add anything to that. Uh, just a couple of quickies. One is uh, that, of course, we used the phrase fish on Friday, didn't we, um, to describe, you know, what seemed like an obligation that we actually had to eat fish. Not only were we not meant to eat meat, we it, was, it seemed like, you know, you had to eat fish, uh, which was never, of course, the case, never the case at all. Um, uh, just a little funny story that... In the Middle Ages, um, there were lots of days of the year, not just Fridays, but Wednesdays and Fridays and Lent and perhaps mm -hmm. the whole of Lent, the, uh, the, the 
the abs abstinence from meat was was a requirement. And there are all sorts of wonderful stories about uh, bishops, even in more recent times, turning up at a function on a Friday, only to be place, faced with a you know, dishes of meat of one kind or another. And uh, they, had, they had curious ways of getting round this. And one was that um, birds, for example, you know, chicken and, and geese and turkeys, because they could fly and because they could go into the water, were often deemed to be regarded as fish. And there's one wonderful story about a bishop turning up at a function where there was meat galore, and he said grace and simply said at the end of it, and and by the way, I, I declare all this meat to be fish. <laughs> uh, so ab absolving people from their obligation. But, but no, it's not that you have to eat fish. It was uh, a, a recommendation to abstain from meat. But yeah. there we go. But it's, it's the spirit, as Luke said, the spirit that matters. So perhaps fish fingers, if that's uh, someone's favourite, they probably shouldn't be having that on a Friday. Father Tony and Father Luke, we have uh, a gentleman's written in. Uh, he, he can't call because he's at work and he's listening secretly at work. Well done. Uh, uh, his name is Francesco. Is it Francesco? Let me double check. Yes, Francesco. So he has a follow-up question. He is a vegan. Is there any suggestions for him for Fridays? Um, no, in the break we were talking about vegans and vegetarianism and fruitarians. No, there are no specific uh, suggestions at all. Nobody's asking him to give up uh, eating <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> On a, on a Friday and, and turn to meat or anything. I, but as Luke said, I think it's to do with the spirit of what penance is about. It's not primarily about eating at all. Mm. Could eat less, of course. That's one way around it. We yeah. could all eat less. <laughs> yes, we'd all eat less. Skip a meal, yeah. drink, drink a cup of coffee you don't like. You know, there's lots of little things yeah. that you could do. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Now, Francesco, originally, he sent us a WhatsApp. Uh, if you're wondering how to WhatsApp us, I will give you that number now. The number is 07502385010. And Francesco wrote this question. Again, Francesco is working and, and, and can't be calling us in, but thank you for calling uh, writing. So here is the question. He believes that when we die, it's the wage of sin. Uh, he's simply trying to understand that we do not, we do know that organisms were born, lived and died before modern humans appeared. So eternal life, the souls being locked from heaven before first Good Friday, is that something that happened? Uh, is it the fallen world or those organisms died and, and now have new creation? Kind of, I guess, I guess what Francesca is mainly trying to get at is, is what is, were they all locked out until Good Friday? Okay. Um, tricky question, tricky question. It's not. I'm just trying to get a handle on what was being asked. So, yeah. because the first thing was on about death generally, wasn't it? And um, I mean, no, that 
I prefer, I, I think I spoke about this with Sister Gemma a month or two ago, there's the beautiful image of um, the resurrection in the Eastern Church. And it, um, uh, the, the, the image of the resurrection, the icon of the resurrection is called the, it's the, I can't remember the Greek word, but it means re- recovery, recovery of Christ. And it's Christ recovering um, Adam and Eve. So you see him descending, bursting the gates of hell and raising Adam and Eve, and there's other patriarchs and stuff around them, to new life. Um, and the, the the teaching, the idea behind it was that um, Jesus on Good Friday um, went and rose everyone um, who had died up until that point. Of course, the caveat to that is that time and sequence and events don't quite mean the same um, in in heaven and for God uh, as they do for us here. And I would I would try and steer us away of thinking in this kind of sequential um, uh, way. So um, death came into the world because of sin. Um, that is a, a spiritual death. It's also a physical reality. Whether or not physical death uh, occurred before the first sin, we're not really sure, although there are inklings to say that it possibly did. Um, but the important point is, is that Christ saves us from that death. He saves us from spiritual death. And anyone who died prior to Good Friday, prior to the Paschal mystery, is saved. And they are saved, if they are saved, by Christ's passion, death and resurrection. So it doesn't matter if it happened, you know, a billion years ago or it happens a billion years in the future. Christ's sacrifice is the central point which raises us up. Um, yeah, I imagine people want to ask more about that. I don't know. Tony, do you want to say anything? Well, I couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, and I, I paused and let you answer because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to say. Um, but but no, absolutely. Uh, I think the thing is that it's very hard when we live in a world where it is now 20 to 12 and we're conscious of the minutes ticking by to even begin to understand what outside time means. So it's not as if those who died before Christ were waiting for hundreds, thousands of years to be admitted to heaven and then suddenly the floodgates opened. Uh, It's that the entry into the world of eternity and of non-time is something that happens when we leave the world of time and space. So, as, as Luke said, it's, it's, it's almost immaterial to, to see, you know, before Christ and after Christ in, in terms of did people have to wait, but it's more about who was admitted, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who was worthy to be called to heaven. Thank you, Father Tony, and thank you, Father Luke. And Francesco, thank you. Oh, he wrote back. Oh, that's very helpful. Smiley face. Aha, uh-huh. <laughs> see, there you go. Okay. All right, guys, I'm going to give you a little bit of a breather because you guys did a great job on those. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, family members, our Radio Maria community, this is your chance. Here is the number to call in and ask your question. The number is... Zero two zero three seven eight one eight four 
two, three. I've only got a few questions left, guys. We can't leave Father Tony and Father Luke hanging. So send in, call in our questions. Uh, call in your questions. Uh, I maybe you have a follow up on on some or your own ideas of what to sacrifice, what to what to give up a little bit on Fridays. Let us know. Share that dialogue. Here is poor Bishop Hooper. They've got a new CD coming out, everybody, by the way. Poor Bishop Hooper's Peace, Mary. Angel Gabriel, listen in. There's a certain message stirring. Not for one of us used to the light But for one who has to squint her eyes in the sunshine You've probably dreamed of a moment like this Heard the others betting on specific Today's the day we've all been waiting Infinite before, infinite after And you get to be the one to turn the page on the next chapter So go and tell the girl I show you She'll have dirt
This is Radio Maria and that was poor Bishop Harper's Peace. Again, they've got a new CD coming out. If anyone has any connections of how I can talk to them, that would be amazing. But anyway, this is Questions of Faith. This is our time as a Radio Maria community to get together and ask questions. Let's Put it out there, guys. What's What are you thinking? There's no silly questions. There's no stupid questions. It's our faith. And if we don't ask questions, you're not really living it, are you? Yeah. I'm looking at Aileen here because we have a new volunteer and she's learning how to run the board and do all this stuff. And she has a question for you, Father Tony and Father Luke. All right, Aileen, go for it. Okay, I asked my daughter yesterday if she had any questions, and the one she came out with was, "Why can't Catholic priests marry?" Ooh. What do you well, think, your, Father Tony? Well, your 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 daughter is a very intelligent girl, um, and a very good question to ask. I think there are two things. One is there's there's history, and the other is um, you know subsequent to decisions made about priest marrying. Um, you know, how we understand it now. The rule of celibacy has been part of the Western Church's practice for a thousand years or more. Until then, those who were what we call diocesan priests, those who were not members of religious orders, were allowed to marry. And there were complications that arose from that concerning what married priests left to their children. And there were examples of, you know, church property and and things being sort of passed on uh, to, to children, and it sort of muddied the waters a bit. And the other thing was that as around that time, there seemed to be more uh, religious clergy than diocesan clergy. That was That was on the increase. And so they, of course, weren't married. So the rule was introduced at that time. But that was a a regulation and a changeable regulation, which we've seen happen in our own lifetime in in the Western Church uh, with the ordination of former Anglicans and, in some cases, former Lutherans, uh, that they have been... Uh, pastors, ministers, priests in their own church uh, have been ordained priests in the Catholic Church, um, uh, but they've not been they've been accepted on uh, as as married uh, men uh, and uh, and very often as parents. So it, it's not it's not the essence of priesthood that requires us to be celibate, but the celibacy is about availability, really. And all I think I can say after quite a long time now as a priest is that at every human gut level, I would love to be married and have a family. But at the level of the priesthood as I have lived it and am living it now, um, I think my family would have had a pretty raw deal in terms of my availability and accessibility to them. I'm quite certain that had married priests been permitted, then my ministry would have, you know, been tailored and been different, which is fine. No problem with that at all. 
But I don't think the way I have been living my life as a priest over the years would have made the two terribly compatible. That's not to say that it couldn't happen. We also have to remember that in the Eastern Catholic churches, um, it's, it is okay for priests to be married. They can't marry once they're ordained. If they're single when they're ordained, they can't then re they can't marry, and bishops can't be married. But but you know the church has had a married priesthood alongside a celibate one uh, throughout all of our history. So that's my comment on that. So Luke, what would you feel about that? Yeah, I mean I would go along with that, of course. Um, but I, I suppose I would just add as well that there are there are very useful and helpful spiritual. Um, components to celibacy, which I think the church has acknowledged yeah. and sees that as uh, congruent with with the priesthood. So um, um, I just know from my my own life that that I see celibacy now as a priest. I've been ordained eleven years, um, so I'm quite a baby priest really. But I've I've been doing it long enough to to have got some years behind my my belt. Um, I I see celibacy as a gift, as a way of um, giving myself completely to Christ in a way that I couldn't do if I was married. Yeah. Now, I emphasise the I because I believe that I'm called to celibacy and this is the way in which I live my celibacy and thus my priesthood. Um, but uh, but and, and, and it, it, there's the availability and all of the other things that go along with that. So I would say that I would want to just emphasise that Celibacy should be seen as much as a gift as, as what it embraces uh, and what it offers, uh, much more than what it's giving up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just me and my take on it. Hope that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Aileen? Aileen was, that, was that good? Yeah, we're very thankful to our priests. That's what crossed my mind as you were speaking. Very, uh, me too, me too, me too. Thanks, Aileen. Oh, Aileen's got one more question, though. Was this your daughter? Who... Uh, this was me. Oh, this, this is something, her, ooh, this is something I've struggled question. with. Um, so I once attended an ecumenical service with a Catholic college and the leaders asked us not to receive communion in the Anglican church that we were at. And I understood that. Um, I have good Christian friends who are Anglicans. And when I attend a service with them, um, as you know, in the Anglican church, everybody, all Christians are invited to communion. Um, I'm not sure what I can do there. Is it a time when I can use my conscience? Um, okay, great question, Aileen. Um, and well done for um, you know thinking about this and, and you know being working towards Christian unity by you know going and praying um, with other Christians, with our brothers and sisters, because we are we are one church, albeit a, a fragmented body at times. Um, I would say a, a couple of things. First of all. Um, you must always follow your conscience. That's that's a, a non-starter. Um, but you have a duty to inform your conscience. So the church always says you must not go against your conscience, but your conscience can be mistaken. So it has to be informed. With communion, my short answer is, is that communion does exactly what it says on the tin. So communion is communion with Christ. It's communion with God, with uh, Christ's body, the church, and with one another. And as Catholics, we um, partake of communion as a public act. It's never just me and God, but it's me and we and God. 
And by standing before um, uh, the communion, um, uh, before the priest receiving communion, um, saying amen, we are saying uh, with ourselves, with our hearts, with our bodies, amen to the communion of the church, to everything that the church is, um, to, to Christ who is there before us, to Christ who enters us at communion, and Christ who makes us one. Now, um, that's for people who are in full communion with the church. There are times when um, people uh, are not in full communion with the church, and so they're asked not to receive communion. Now, that's quite a common um, uh, um, experience, not least for young children. The young children haven't made their first communion. They don't receive communion yet because they're not fully initiated into the church. Um, there are other circumstances as well, and, and you know, married and divorced and all kinds of things, and, and that can be remedied in, in many situations. But there are, there are times. The other time is for our Christian brothers and sisters who we are in communion with, but we're not in full communion. We're not in full union. And so it's about a, an honesty and an integrity at that moment of communion, which says, OK, um, I desire this. Um, I'm in union or I'm not in. I'm not in full communion. It's not about making moral judgments. It's not about any of that. It's about saying we're not there yet. And the difficulty is uh, in, in the ecumenical conversations is that um, for the Catholic Church, the goal, if you like, of Christian unity is that we are all in full communion so that we can we receive communion and that shows that we're in union and it makes us one. For the Anglican Church and for other Christians, their theology often sees the reception of communion as a way of bringing that union about. Now, I've oversimplified it, but that's where the, the clash is, if you like. So the church would ask us not to receive communion at those moments um, because we are saying something which is not yet the case. Um, I don't know. I know we haven't got long left. Tony, do you, do you want to add anything to that? Only to say that, that I think you've made the point so well, Luke, that this is not just about what we believe the Eucharist to be. It's, it's about our whole membership of the church, what our church stands for, what we think and believe about lots of other things. And I, I was very fortunate back in the 1980s in uh, the parish I worked in. We used a, an Anglican church on Sunday mornings. And we had a really close relationship with the, the local church. And back then, I hoped and trusted and believed that by the millennium, there would be some sort of sharing of the Eucharist together. But all sorts of things happened that put a bit of a break on that. And so I think we've still some way to go, but we should never stop working towards it and praying about it and, 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 and longing for it. I, I think that's, that's something that we all need to take on board. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Aileen, for your questions. And thank, do thank your daughter for us as well. Yes. Thank you, Father Tony and Father Luke. We are running out of time. But I, for all of our listeners, do know we collect the, the questions during the week. You can email us at questions at radiomariaengland.uk. Our phone lines are open so much 
during the day now that do feel free to call in and and ask a question or participate in the discussion being mad. But that's it for you guys today. Well done, Father Tony. Well done, Father Luke. Would you mind uh, closing off? I believe it's you, Father Tony. Would you mind ending uh, our program with a prayer and blessing our listeners? Lord God, we thank you for giving us minds that are open to receiving further knowledge and understanding and for minds that are ready to seek and to question and to, to, to look for clarification. We thank you for the time we have spent together and for the wonderful questions that have come in from our listeners. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. We'll see you. Questions of Faith will be rebroadcast throughout the week and is available as a podcast. Thanks, guys, and God bless. Mm